This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good good morning. How are we? Yet again, what is it with this side of the room that's always, is it because I'm more positioned this way that maybe I hear it? We'll chat over here. That's what it is. How are we? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's something with this side of the room. I bet it's the gravitational pull, 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 pull of the moon um, and the tilt of the planet on the axis that it, it just naturally, that's got to be it. It's got to be it. Well, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at Austin Life Church. Um, I think I've met most of you, some of you maybe not, some of you uh, recently. Uh, I'm really glad that you are here. Um, So we moved here, our family moved here in the summer of 2017 uh, to start the church. Uh, It's been a journey, some ups, some downs. Uh, There was uh, this thing called a pandemic uh, that occurred for a year of that time. Uh, Needless to say, it has been a ride. Uh, And so uh, Mike and I were talking early on, uh, a lot of churches will will send their pastors on sabbaticals, um, just times of rest and recharging and, um, and, and, and reading and replenishment. Um, and a lot of times those happen every six or seven years and we were like, I don't think we're gonna make it to six or seven years. Um, and so we said, idea, what if we make our sabbaticals shorter time periods, but more frequent. And so we were like, let's do an every other year thing. And rather than being like every six or seven years, you get three months. How about every other year you get a month? And so anyways, uh, I, I, I take off on sabbatical um, really this week, um, wrap a couple things up early this week, and then I'll have the month of July uh, on a sabbatical. And, and the main purpose of that is to rest uh, and replenish and recharge. Apparently, the human body has limits and capacities. Who knew? Uh, we like to think that we can do everything on our own and just keep powering through, and that is a bad recipe. Um, and so we're going to spend some time resting and, and sleeping, um, and then we'll read some and sleep some more and um, maybe watch a little TV guilt-free without thinking like, oh, I need to be doing something else, and then we'll sleep some more. Um, I think that's really the, a lot of the, the plan. Uh, but I just wanted to, to thank you for that opportunity, um, and, and if you reach out to me, uh, that's why I don't respond, is because Mike has made me turn off my emails um, and throw my phone in the water here after service uh, so that I cannot work. Um, that's why it's here. Is we're, it's, it's like a, it's like a, a ritual. We'll just drop it in. So I am 38 years old, late 30s. I told you all last week a little bit, um, and then I forgot totally what I was saying. It was the first time I think I was like, I have no clue where I am. I'm just going to start somewhere else now. Um, But I have been, I cannot remember a day in my 38 years uh, that I haven't been a part of a church. Uh, My my parents are are Christians. They they raised me in a church. Um, They they had a key to the church. Like I was going to the church when when no one else was there. They had a gym too, and so we'd be like, let's go play basketball, right? And so, uh, well, my parents had a key. I took their key. I didn't have the key. Um, And so I was there all the time. I I don't remember a day where I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God and he lived for me. He died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. And if I trust in him, then, then I will, you know, be forgiven of my sins and given new life. Like that's just something I've always believed in. I believed in the Holy Spirit, even though the Holy Spirit wasn't talked a whole whole lot about uh, growing up. Um, But I, you know, I believed in all of that. And, and so, and then I, 
you know, I trusted Christ when I was 15. Uh, my life was, was transformed. I've never been the same since. You know, I knew all about Jesus up to that point, but there's a huge difference, right, in knowing about something and actually trusting in something, right? Like, I did this with a chair. Like, I can, tr- I, I can know the physics and the engineering of a chair and be like, okay, the weight capacity is X, Y, or Z, and it's formatted. It's going to hold me. And then to actually sit in a chair, like, to let go of my own support is, is trust, right? I can believe in it, but then to trust in it is to, is to sit. I believed in God my whole life. I trusted in Christ to forgive my sins and to make me right with God when I was 15. Then I went to seminary right after college. Um, I, I've, I've read books. I've read the Bible. I've spent a lot of time in the Bible. I, I know the Bible fairly well. Um, I know about church and about religion but then over the last couple of years, I really feel like, like I've just been hitting this ceiling in my faith, this wall, where the faith that I've known really my whole life, it's just like, there's got to be more than this. Like, if this is, if, if this is it, it's a pretty low ceiling, and I've maxed out, and I'm kind of disappointed like I've just been been reading books and it's, you know, it was like speaking to this, to my soul. Like, okay, there's, I'm hitting this wall and I'm like, this is it? Right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I know what the Bible means. It says that I shall have everything I need in, in the Lord, my shepherd. And yet I'm like, I don't, I don't really? Because I don't know that I'm there. I, I, Thomas and I in our discipleship group, we read through Ephesians and it jacked me up. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. We didn't even get far into it. And I was like, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, E-D, past tense, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I was like, if this is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that I've encountered thus far, heaven's not going to be so fantastic. Like, there's got to be more than what I've encountered in faith. And we're reading down further in chapter one, and Paul prays. He prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness, this is in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's like, hey church, I want you to know, experientially, like like get it in the depths of your soul, know the immeasurable That word means that you cannot fully measure it. Like it's beyond the scope of my measurements. The immeasurable greatness of his power at work in you to those who believe and have faith, that power that God worked in order to raise the dead Jesus from the grave, that power, that immeasurable great power is at work in you. And I was like, Oh, Thomas, man, I don't, I feel like I can measure most of what's happened in my life. Like if I'm being real honest, I can, I can point back to my intellect or my skills or my work ethic or the people in my life, or I feel like I can probably measure 98.7% of what's happened in my, like, 
But he's saying that there's an immeasurable greatness. And then we journey on over to chapter three. I'm telling you, Ephesians messed me up. Chapter three, and Paul's like, I'm praying according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, like to know, to know deep inside of you the love of Christ that, oh, by the way, it surpasses human knowledge. Like, I want you to know this thing, but it's actually not fully knowable based on your human limitations. Thanks, Paul. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right, Paul's like, I want you to know the fullness of God in you. This love that, that you can't fully know, I want you to know this love, right, that, that is just beyond everything you can imagine. And then he's like, and on top of that, right, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, right? Like I'm reading these, these verses and there's just this unrest in my soul and I'm like, there has to be more than what I have currently encountered of my faith. Like I sing these songs and I've had some really emotional moments, but they don't seem to line up with what Paul's talking about here. Like there seems to be more that Paul is saying here. So either the Bible isn't actually true for me or, or I still got room to go. Are y'all tracking with me on this kind of unrest? Like in my journey, hit a ceiling and I'm like, there's, I really hope there's more past this because this is, eh. Anybody else ever felt that? Like, okay, there, there's gotta be more in this relationship with God thing than what I've encountered because what I've encountered is just, eh, it's okay. It's good, it's, it's good, but like there's gotta be more, Right? There's this disconnect that I really, I really feel like God was saying, hey, Corey, you have known me, you have seen me in black and white, and I want you to see me in, in full color. Like, can you imagine it, it going through life and everything you see is black and white? That's all you know is black and white. And then all of a sudden, like color just fills everything. Like, it would be sensory overload. Like I, I would probably have to take some time off just to recover from like seeing color for the first time, right? We can't even really imagine what that would be like. I think it would undo us. And that's, that's kind of a, what I feel like God's been telling me. Like, Corey, you've only seen me in black and white. Like I've got this thing called color that your brain literally cannot comprehend yet because you're just a human and you have limits, but I've got so much more for you than, than you can even imagine. Like, Corey, you can imagine just this fullness and robustness with me, and son, like I'm just telling you, you're just getting started there. Like, that's what God has been putting in my soul, and yet I feel this disconnect. Like, okay, God, I'm, I'm starting to think there's more, but I'm still living in the not so much more. How? how? What, how, how do I get there? What does that look like? What? And so one of the areas that I wanted to, to speak on today, one of these areas of disconnect for me is fear. 
is fear. In Isaiah 43, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to that, that's where we're going to start. I'll, I'll jump around a little bit. There's these worship guides in your seat. I recommend just like taking some notes, writing some of these scriptures down, because we're not going to camp out on a lot of them for a long time, but that way you can look them back up later. So, but we're going we're gonna to start in Isaiah 43. In one area in my life, that, that I've struggled with this disconnect. Like, here's what the Bible says, and, and yet I'm living over here somewhere, is around this command of God to not fear. Isaiah 43, verse 1. God says, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Right? He's talking to his people in this moment. He says, fear not. Stop there. Fear not. That, that is not just a, hey, I don't know. Why don't you consider not fearing? What do you think? You want to go with that? Like this is a command from God. He is commanding it. And God doesn't give commands just to be like, oh, I'm going to take it or leave it. Like commands are meant to be followed. And so God is commanding them not to fear. Over 350 times in the Bible, the single most common command in the Bible is to not be afraid. It's to not, not fear, not be anxious, not worry, right? We got 1 Timothy 1.7. It says, God has not given me a spirit of fear. Matthew 6.34, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Those are the words of Jesus, right? Like, I don't think he misspoke. I don't think he was like, hey, Father, I really messed up. Like, I told him not to worry, but that's not, I don't know what to do, sorry. You know, like, I think Jesus meant what he said. Do not worry. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious about nothing. And so I'm reading that, and I'm like, man, that can either be like a good luck charm for me, like something when I'm feeling a little nervous, I can be like, nope, the Bible says be anxious about nothing, and I can start to feel good about myself, but really, I'm just managing my own anxiety on my own. Like, I'm just, I'm just dealing with worry on my own. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those good, good thoughts, like, oh, you know, like, Papa's always with you. I'm always with you. And it's like, all right, cool, Papa's with me. But, like, Papa's not really with me. It's just my own positive thinking that's reinforcing myself so I can be like, all right, here we go. I can do this, you know. Papa's with me. I got this, you know. And now Papa's back in Victoria, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we think of the Bible that, that way a lot of times. Oh man, life is hard. Let me, let me grab Granny's cross stitch. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm good, let's go. Right, but, but we don't really like, really know that. We just quote these verses like a good luck charm. Something that makes us feel good in our heads and positive thinking can help us accomplish things, but it's, it's ultimately not going to really get the job done when everything starts to crumble. When we're faced with the day, which if it hasn't come yet, it's going to come when we realize like, oh shoot, I really can't do this on my own. Like that's when anxiety starts to take over. That's when worry starts to take over. And maybe you're like me and you're like, God, I'm, I'm a six on the Enneagram. That's my, that's my natural bent. What you gonna do about that? You made me. I can't help that. You know, like, but yet God commands it. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. And that doesn't mean that there's not this emotion of fear. 
right? Like if you're gonna go skydiving, I would hope there's an emotion of fear, like there's that trepid, that anxiety. I hope that's in there, right? Because something inside of you should know, like, all right, this is risky. If there's nothing happening there, let's go talk to somebody together. I'll go with you, right? But like there should be that feeling, but this is talking about that fear that controls us, right? That fear that demoralizes us and keeps us from taking a step forward. That fear that, that dishonors God, that says, man, something's bigger than you, God, right? I can't run into this situation. Something's bigger. It's, it's bigger than you, right? This fear that, that causes you to not obey him in all things. God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I know you tell me to love my enemies, but my enemy is, a, is an eight-foot-tall giant with a spear and a shield, and you want me to run at my enemy with a sling and a stone, Right, so fear says, nope, I'm not obeying you, God. That's the fear that God is saying, no, no, no. I guarantee you David, had, his heart was pounding as he runs into battle against Goliath. Guarantee it. The fear that we're commanded to have is a fear that says, okay, but God, I trust you and I'm moving forward anyways. Right, I'm not gonna let this fear stop me from doing what you say to do. Yeah, there could be consequences that come on the other side, but you say to do this, and so my fear is not gonna stop me from doing what you tell me to do. Right? That's the fear that God is telling us not to have, and that he's telling Judah and Israel not to have here. It, it helps to understand this context a little bit, right? Like, okay, God, is it, like, is everything going great for them? Are they just sitting out outside, you know, drinking some coffee, enjoying the sunshine? And you're like, don't fear. And they're like, cheers, you got it. Like, what's the context of this? Isaiah 50, 50, uh, 43, sorry, is written to a people, to Judah, to Israel, in the year of 598 BC. In the year of 598 BC, there was a king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. A powerful, egotistical, vicious king who wanted to take all the land for himself. And so he sends his armies out and the armies of Babylon overcome Judah and then they take over Jerusalem. And so now the people of Israel are literally in captivity to the people of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, you know what? Go ahead and bring them back to Babylon as slaves. Grab some people like, I don't know, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. That's the context here, right? Bring them back here, right? We'll, we'll show them what's up. We'll teach them how to be Babylonians. We won't let them be free in their land. They're feeding people to lions, right? They're burning people in, in fire, right? It's a very vicious king who wants to rule and conquer and subdue and he will do anything necessary and so the people when God is talking to Jacob to Israel are people who are not free they are slaves to Babylon and if they don't bow down to the golden idol hey it's okay we'll burn you alive and if they continue to pray to their God then we'll feed you alive to lions right that's this context okay yeah, I would be a little nervous. I, fear is probably something that I would, you know, lean into a little bit. Like, yeah, I don't particularly want to be burnt alive. That honestly sounds like one of the worst things. I don't know, being eaten alive by lions could be right up there too. So this is the context where God doesn't just say, hey, if you're feeling up to it, don't be afraid. But he commands them, fear not. And that's when I go, okay, God, there's a disconnect between me and you. 
because I'm hearing what you tell me and it seems absolutely impossible to do what you just told me to do. It seems absolutely impossible, God, for me to not be anxious. Are you kidding me? We're in 2021, we're in a pandemic, God, and you want me to not be anxious? I don't know if I'm gonna have a job. How am I gonna pay, pay my bills? You want me to not worry, right? You want me to, I could be all alone if I don't do, you know, go with my friends and do what they're doing. I could be alone. You, you, that's what, like it seems impossible to obey some of God's commands, right? Anybody else with me? Am I the only one that's like, I don't know, God. <laughs> I, I could imagine in this context, fear not. Are you, like for real? Are you kidding me, God? You want me to not be afraid in this context. So here's what I'm starting to learn cognitively. It hasn't really sunk deep in yet, right? But fear is overcome with two things. One, when there is someone or something bigger than my fear that will step in and handle the situation. And then two, when I trust in that someone or something rather than trust in myself to get through it, right? So there's this object of fear. When there's someone or something bigger than that, that I can trust in, and, and when I actually trust in that someone or something rather than the object of my fear, then fear is overcome and we can move through. I'll give you an example, and I've told this example before, but it just, I think it just fits so perfectly. Molly over here, my sweet daughter, hey Molly, when she was two or three, I don't really remember who keeps up with the age of your kid, I don't know, like, once you get past two, it's who knows, it just all blurs together, right? And we're at a pool party, and she runs without her floaty into the hot tub. It's like one of those hot tubs built into the ground, there's not a step, and so literally, she just force gumps, man, just straight, bloop, down she goes. And so I run over to the hot tub, and, and I can still right now visualize her under the water. She's just sitting there like this. She doesn't know what to do. Like, she doesn't know how to swim, and so she's under the water just kind of looking up like, what do, I, what do I do here, Dad? And so I reach in, and I grab her, and I pull her up, and she's like coughing out water. And, and so we're like, hey, you're good. You're, you're good. You're great. Yada, yada. Let's go swim. And she's like, okay, this is like a five-foot hot tub that almost killed me. That's a 50-foot pool. Like, you, you want me to get in this pool when I almost died in the hot tub. Like, her little brain is thinking, no, that will kill me, right? I will not make it out of there. And so she has this fear of getting in the pool, a justified fear, right? It could harm her. It, it almost did harm her, right? And so she's nervous about getting in the pool. And so what do we do? We step in the pool, and, and we're a little bit taller at this point, so the pool, I can stand, it goes to about here, and I'm like, hey, sweetie, jump to me, right? I'll catch you. I'm, I'm bigger than the pool. I'm above the water. I'm not going to, to drown. I'll catch you. And so now Molly has these options. There's someone or something that is claiming to be bigger than her fear, the water. It's not that the pool lost its potential harm, but that someone or something is bigger than that harm. Does that make sense? Now she has the choice. Am I going to trust my dad or am I gonna still try to attack the pool on my own, right? Am I gonna trust my dad and lean into him and trust that he'll catch me, or am I still gonna go at this on my own? If she chooses to still go at this on her own, fear is still gonna win the day. But if she says, okay, I trust you, and she fixes her eyes on me, she focuses on me and jumps to me, she'll see that I will catch her. 
and that she actually is safe in the pool with someone who's bigger than the pool. And so that's how fear is overcome, is when there's someone or something bigger than the object of our fear, and when we choose to trust that someone or something. And so God says, hey, fear not. Yes, the context around you can overwhelm you in a second. It can kill you. Don't be afraid though. Why, God? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God is the the father to the children saying, come on, jump to me. I'm bigger than your fear. You are mine. You are mine. I'm not gonna let you drown in the water. You're my kid, right? God's not going to let you fall. You are mine. That's what God is saying to these people. Don't be afraid. I got you. I know what's best. There's gonna come a time, Molly, where I'm gonna let you jump. I'm gonna let you hit the water. Right, I'm not just gonna catch you, I'm gonna let you hit the water. Why? Because what's best is for you to eventually work your way through the fear. Right, you can't be 10 years old and still jump into dad. You know, like, we've, I've gotta let you work through that. He, God is saying to Israel, don't be afraid. I've got you, I'm bigger than your fear. And in this context, what God does, he raises up Cyrus the Great, historical context. And Cyrus the Great overcomes Nebuchadnezzar and sets Israel and Judah free. God's like, I, I got you, I'm bigger than this. He's like, hey, remember that time that Pharaoh was just pressing in and you come up to a, a sea, the Red Sea, and you're like, well, I got an army behind me and a sea in front of me. What am I gonna do? And God's like, hey, fear not, I got you. Moses, stick your staff in the, in the river. Pew, the sea splits. They walk through on dry land. Well, now we're hungry, God. We're stuck out in the desert. And God's like, hey, don't be afraid. I got you. Manna from heaven. Right? Elisha and his servant, we talk about that. They walk out of the tent and there's an army surrounding them. They're like, well, now I'm afraid. And Elisha says, hey, God, open his eyes to see. And he opens his eyes and there's an army of angels surrounding the enemy. Right? Historically, God has proven, I've got you. I'm, I'm not gonna let you fall. And that's what God is saying here again. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. I've paid the price to make you my own. That's what we anchor into, is that God's got us. But not only does he have us in that one instant, right? God, God's got you today, and you know what? Tomorrow when you go back to work and you've got that boss that is just patronizing and difficult, God's got you tomorrow. And Tuesday when you've got to have that conversation that you really don't want to have because it's going to go rough, and, and man, we don't know what the future looks like now, God's got you. He's still there. Right? And when the diagnosis comes in that you're like, I don't, I don't think there's a cure for this, God's got you. That's what he tells them. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. I, I just, let's talk in the reality that we live in. It's not an if you walk through the waters. It's not an if you start to feel like you're sinking. It's not an if the fire starts to surround you, but it's, it's a when. When the waters are rushing over you, 
and the, the fire is hot and it, it may just seem like your world is burning down around you. The promise of God is that he is with you. He, he's in the pool. You can jump to him. That we can trust him. We see that today for our own lives in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says that, that we have been bought with a price. That's what the word redeemed means. It means to buy back, that we have been bought with a price, that, that God paid a price for us and that we are not our own. We are his. When we trust Christ, he has paid the price for us and we are, we are his. We are his children. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 it says that, that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Right, that we have been brought from this slavery of sin. More than a slavery to Babylon is an eternal slavery to Satan. Like, more fearful than a, a, a temporary 60-year slavery to Babylon is an eternal slavery to Satan and sin. And, and God says, hey, in Jesus, I paid the price to buy you back from slavery. You are free. You're no longer a slave to sin when we trust Christ. He has redeemed us in Jesus. He's loosened the chains so that we're free. And he says, and it's not just a salvation for the future, but today the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in you so that we, he will be with us. He's never going to leave us. The actual Spirit of God is in us. And so these same verses that were written in 598 BC can be true for us today. Don't be afraid because God has redeemed us in Christ Jesus. We are his if we have trusted Christ, we become his and his spirit fills us so that he actually will never leave us or forsake us. He actually will walk with us. He actually will be in the trial with us. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches us. That's what it tells us. And so now I've been sitting here and I'm like, okay, God, I... I know what you tell me, but there seems to be a breakdown from me knowing it to actually living it and believing it because fear has dominated my life. Because I look at the potential what-if scenarios and, and this fear is causing me to recoil and self-protect and guard so that I'm not giving my love to others because I don't want others to hurt me. This fear is controlling me from being fully present because I feel like I have to watch around my back and make sure that all my ducks are in a row so that I don't get blindsided. So I know what you're telling me and I understand conceptually, God, what you're telling me, but it still seems like fear has, has won. It still seems like anxiety. I can't seem to break it. It still seems like I'm addicted to this substance. I don't know how to be free from it. It still seems like I need this person in my life. I don't know how to be free truly if the worst case happens. God, I know what you're telling me, but there's a disconnect, a breakdown in actually living it. 
And, and I feel like that is what God has for me, and I do believe that's what God has for our church and, and our culture, is that we have been walking on autopilot. We have been believing potentially with our minds, but we've not really been experiencing and knowing in our souls the truth of what God tells us. And so we see him in black and white, and God's saying, oh my gosh, I want you to see in color there's so much more than, than you can even imagine at this point, but you've got to trust me. And so I've been asking, all right, God, what, what do I do? What do I do? Galatians 5, 16 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It seems over and over and over again, the Bible says, how do we actually walk in this freedom from fear? You walk in the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Like, I get it. Walk by the Spirit. I know how to answer it on the test. I'll get 100. What does that mean today? And so this is where I hope the illustration helps. I'm a visual learner. These ping pong balls represent sin. Sin is any disobedience to God. Anytime God says go this way and we say, hey, that looks good, I'm gonna go that way, that's sin. Anytime God's like, hey, I want you to have loving thoughts, thoughts that are pure and noble, and my thoughts are less than pure and noble, that's, that's sin. And the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. All of us have at some point, in some way, collected a record of debt against God, of impure thoughts, of greed, of anger, of violence, uh, right? Fill in the blank. We've all collected a debt, and so we are not pure, and this separates us from God. This removes us, this is, this is God, this removes us from the presence of God. But God loves us so much that Jesus came to settle our debts. Jesus came to pay the price for our guilt. Just like if I get a ticket, I got a ticket, I got a fine to pay, Jesus steps in to pay the fine for my guilt on the cross. And when I trust Jesus, not just believe in Jesus, but truly I go, all right, I'm tr all of my eggs are in that basket. I trust him. The Bible says that he takes our sins and completely removes us from, removes it from us and makes us clean. But not only that, I, I'm doing it, Mike. I'm doing it. I'm do it's okay. It's okay, everybody. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's going to be fine, everybody. It's, gonna, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. Oh, that was a bit more than I thought. It's all right. Okay, so the Holy Spirit fills, it was gonna take too long. The Holy Spirit fills us with his presence. It's all right, everybody, it's fine. The electrical stuff is near, near, near. it's near, it's near, but we tested this in my head and it goes well, all right? So, so Jesus removes our sin and the Holy Spirit fills us with his presence and power. He literally gives us everything we need to not fear. 
Did you know that if you have trusted Christ, you have everything you need to not fear or be anxious or worry? You can be humble, you can be loving, you can be gentle, you can be peaceful. So anytime we're not that, it's not because we lack it, it's because we've, we've chosen to start putting sin back in our life. We've chosen, hey, uh, I don't know that I trust God with this situation, and so I'm just gonna put a little anxiety and worry in here. Um, I think that partying looks fun, and so I'm gonna start putting some more getting drunk and, and sleeping around, and you know, I think that, gosh, I don't, I don't know that I, I wanna go back to my, right? We, we start pushing out the Spirit. And so where the spirit is constantly available, we separate ourselves from him by sin, right? We, we take our eyes off of God and we separate ourselves from him. And so we start wondering, how do I truly live free of fear? Acts 3 invites us that if we will confess our sins and repent, that times of refreshing will come and it moves us back into his presence and we're filled back up by his spirit. And, and now this journey continues, right? I take my eyes off of God. I get lazy. I stop focusing on him. I stop thinking about him. Isaiah 26 says that, that he gives us perfect peace when our mind is set on him. And I start, start looking around and I start adding sin back in, right? And we do the same journey and I'm afraid and I'm anxious and man, things are falling apart and, and the same invitation is given. Hey, confess your sins. Like own them and lay them down and it starts to move us back into his presence. We put our eyes back on him and he fills us back up. And so the best way I understand what it means to walk by the Spirit is to trust Him. There's four things I think. Trust Him is first. Right? We can either trust that God is who He says He is, that He actually is there for us, that Jesus actually does remove our sins, that the Holy Spirit does actually fill us. We can trust him when he says, no, 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 I know that you wanna be guarded and I know you wanna like self-protect, but I'm telling you the way of Jesus is to lay yourself down. I can trust that he is true, I can trust that he is right and I can follow him. And when I trust him, I'm filled by his Spirit. So the first thing is actually right now, you've got to decide. Who are you trusting? You are placing your trust in someone right now. It, it can be in God and that he is who he says he is, or it can be in yourself and that God is a, the belief of God is a part of your own equation. It's a good thought for you as you work your way through life. Or you could trust in finances and security of that. You can trust in your own human logic and what ultimately makes sense in you. But let's, let's be clear. Every one of us are living by faith today. N not a single one of us can empirically prove what happens after we die. We're just all trusting in, in, in something. What are you going to place your trust in? My trust is 
in, in God and in that, that Jesus is who he says he is and there's quite a good bit of evidence for that as well. So the first thing to walk by the Spirit is to trust so that our sins are forgiven, that he fills us with the Spirit. The second thing, Colossians 1 if you want to look at that, Colossians 1, or Colossians 3 says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. The second thing is to fix our eyes on him. Is to, to read his words, to know him, to, to be in church with him. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve, man, they got everything going for them. Have you ever thought about that? If anybody on the planet is not gonna sin, it's those two. They are, born, they are created into a world with no sin. Man, they don't have any baggage from a mom and dad that passed stuff onto them, right? They don't have any bad habits of the people. They don't have peer pressure. They've literally got everything going for them. And, and the, the, the devil works his way in and the, the devil's never gonna walk in with a sign and be like, hey oh, I'm gonna destroy your life. Choose this option and everything will crash and burn, right? Go over here and just indulge yourself and you're gonna regret it for the rest of your life, right? That's not how the devil works, right? It starts in our brain and we start entertaining this temptation in our mind. Gosh, I wonder what it would be like if, maybe that is the better life. Oh gosh, I'm really, I want a relationship, maybe, Maybe it is okay just to, to date. Like we start to entertain it here and we take our eyes off of God. That's what happened with Eve. The devil comes in and is like, hey, is that really what God said? Like not to eat of this tree? And she starts entertaining this temptation in her head, having this inner conversation with her and ultimately the voice of the devil. Anybody else resonate with that pattern? I guarantee you, we didn't get hooked on the vice we're hooked on in an instant, most likely. There was probably some steps that started here, and then we got a little bit closer, and we're thinking, how close can I play with fire without getting burned? And Proverbs says, if you play with fire, you're gonna get burned. It's only a matter of time, and yet we are like, no, nah, I'm gonna keep trying this out. I'm gonna see how close we can get. And we take our eyes off of God, and we just casually start to look around, right? And what we're doing is we're making ourselves vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And so we've got to fix our eyes and our mind on him. We've got to be in his word. We've got to know his word. We've got to be in church where the word is taught. We fix our eyes and our mind on him. Do you have a routine in your life where you're inputting his words or are you inputting more of Fox News, CNN, the latest fiction novel, social media, right? What is filling your mind? What thoughts are you constantly entertaining? You have a choice. We have a choice on what we're putting into here. And when we take our eyes off of him, we maybe haven't sinned yet, but we are making ourselves available. And then Colossians 3, in verse 5, and let's look at verse 12, you see, we see this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. Verse 12, put on then what is godly, right? So we start to sin when we don't put to death what is earthly and we put back in sexual immorality and lying and deceiving and hiding. The only time hiding entered the world 
was in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. If you ever feel that internal need to hide, to cover up, to justify, to minimize, that's Genesis 3 sin. That's not of the Lord ever. And we start putting those things in and we start losing the battle. It's not that we're not Christians anymore, but we've, we've, we've separated ourselves from his presence. It's not that he's really not here anymore. He's still here. We've just moved over here. See what I'm saying? And so we've got to put to death these things and put back on the things of Jesus. We've got to confess our sins and it returns us. So that's number three. Put to death things of the world. Put on the things of Jesus. And number four is community. We're not created to walk by the Spirit alone. Genesis 2, the first time God said something was not good, he said it's not good that the man is alone. So he creates Eve, community, someone to do life with him. This is the best way I understand to walk out this disconnect from what I read and what I encounter. This is what the Bible says, and yet I feel like I've, there's so much more. How do I get there? All right, I choose to trust him. I fix my eyes on him. I, I do what he says, and I put away the things that aren't of him, and I bring people into my life. That's the best way I understand the scripture tells us to know more and more and more of who he is. So, so church, friends, the, the invitation is given to us. I know that it's not easy. You, you can ask my wife, right? I know what the Bible says and yet fear has had a grip on me. And it's not that I don't want to be free from it, but, but it's hard. It's not always easy. Right? We live in a broken world and in broken bodies with broken minds. It's not that we can, you know, and everything's perfect, right? It's a, it's a journey. But I believe that God has given us everything we need to walk in that journey. And so the invitation is given. Where are you? What's your decision? Who are you trusting in? Are you willing to confess and repent and put away the things of this world to put on the things of Jesus? That's what I think it means to walk by the Spirit. And I believe that God will lead you to green pastures, still waters, and paths of righteousness. I believe that these verses and these psalms we read about, these songs that we sing will be more than just words that we go through the motions with, but will actually start to take root in our lives and transform who we are. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.